Welcome back to Coaching Kernan. This is episode 55, Real Voices of the Game version. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host, joined by my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. And uh, Will, I think you're on almost every day now between panel of experts, Real Voices of the Game, and your show, A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Uh, Will George, Colorado Rocky Scout, welcome back too. And we're joined by our special guest today, special assistant for the Milwaukee Brewers, longtime baseball man. Uh, when we talked before the show, I think Mike has multiple jobs with the scouting, amateur scouting, professional scouting, and advanced scouting. And I think you were doing all in one day when we talked the last time uh, from, a, from a hotel in parts unknown. But uh, I want to welcome Mike Berger to the show. Mike, welcome to our Real Voices of the Game. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it, and, and uh, it's good to be a part. Yep, and Will and Calvin, welcome back. It just seems like we just saw each other yesterday which I think yep. we did. And, uh, Mike, I'll get you started today. We, we kind of batted around here with the three of us, uh, kind of like we did pre-show. And uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about some prospects uh, that you had in the Brewer system. A couple of Venezuelan kids. I think our audience will get a great sense of uh, your knowledge of the game, uh, your, not only your depth, but your breadth of the game. And, uh, again, our, our mission for the show is to build better baseball IQs. I think we're going to get that today with you. But, Jackson Cherio and Jefferson Cuero, if I got those names right, two good young Venezuelan prospects we heard about on uh, Joe Frazero's show, Man on Second on our network uh, about a week ago. What are you seeing from those two coming up? Well, um, yeah, they're, they're two headliners as far as I'm concerned. Um, I had the, uh, had the good fortune of going through our organization um, as much as, as humanly possible, as Will does, and um, – uh, to speak on Cheerio, I rolled into to Carolina. Oh, I'm guessing it was May. I mean, the draft was still front and center, but you try to pick off your organizational players when you can. And I had not seen Cheerio um, prior to him joining the organization. So I was just, I, it was jaw dropping. I think I'd mentioned to you, Dave, um, last week, you know, uh, we're, we're all, we're all, uh, apt to comp players to somebody, some skill set that we may have seen in the past. And you don't want to force it, but by the same token, if it's there, you know, throw it out there. And with Cheerio, this is kind of a cross between, if, if, if you took Mookie Betts and Andrew McCutcheon, threw them in a blender, this is what you'd get in an 18-year-old kid, Jackson Cheerio. Yeah. Um, it was absolutely breathtaking. An 18-year-old kid going uh, going up against that level of competition um, and not just the tools these were playable tools um, you know the makeup the instincts um, as I said it was um, it was very awe-inspiring and uh, you know selfishly for our organization uh, it's just uh, there's just tremendous upside so um, and then you know Kiro the catcher uh, was every bit as impressive I mean there was nothing he couldn't do behind uh, behind home plate. Soft hands, big target, moved laterally. There's power. There's feel to go the other way. Um, there's a really good pitcher catcher telepathy, which is which is important. Again, this is from a youngster. And again, I'm stating the obvious here, but if you just sit back and observe and and just watch the way these two young players are are. Uh, viewed by their teammates, you know right away that we have something special here in these two. Do you, do you, do you fear with the, the push of analytics, I get kind of down these young kids' throats a little bit, 
that pitcher catcher telepathy, is that rare to see now at such a young age? And do you fear that, you know, hopefully that stays around and doesn't get squashed by, you know, the, the drive of analytics in these kids' heads? Well, uh, fair question. I know over here, I know it, it's, it's a big, it's a big, uh, big component of, of how we develop. Uh, Charlie Green is our catching coordinator, longtime catching coordinator. And, uh, you know, he, he played, I believe, at every level, and he's been doing this for quite some time. And I know that he places um, supreme importance on having that type of interaction, you know, you know, the catcher-pitcher relationship. Can't speak to the other organizations, but I think your question is fair um, because the last thing we – I think the last thing is th- that we want to do as an organization or as an industry is um, – is to take the thinking element away from, you know, away from the position. Um, yeah, analytics are here. They're not going away. But, man, if you got a feel, uh, you know, go with the feel. And if it doesn't work out, we can talk about it tomorrow. Right, Will? Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned that, Mike. And so many times on here we've talked, uh, Kevin and I and Dave and other people that we've had on, the importance of uh, – leadership behind the plate from catchers and you know uh kevin and i talk a lot about gary tuck you know he was our minor league guy in cleveland when we when we built uh the team that took its run in the 90s and he went on to the yankees to be their big league bullpen coach and help posada become a great catcher and then he went on to the red sox and helped veritech and how important that is and then you look at you know, what Charlie Green's doing in your organization and how well you guys pitch at the major league level, that there's there's definitely a correlation and you're a former catcher, how important that synergy is between the pitcher, catcher, the organic moment of the game, calling the right pitches and getting hitters out. Absolutely. And, and you know, if we view analytics, um, let, let, let's, let's say analytics is the architecture behind um, behind our game. Um, I guess the statement I would make is that, you know, good architecture is, is not a good a guarantee for good baseball. I mean, you need it, but by the same time, you, it, by the same token, you need, uh, you need players to think, think their way through situations. Um, you know, uh, analytics, uh, for me, they never take momentum into account. And uh, as I said, I think it bears repeating if, you know, if, um, if you view analytics as, as the architecture behind a game plan, the architecture behind a player profile, that's all well and good. But it doesn't always guarantee good baseball or a good baseball player. There's more to it than that. Mike, you and I talked a lot about building intuition. Uh, as, and that's, I think we're kind of getting to that right now. You had a great analogy, um, and I don't know if you remember it. It was, an, it was a land analogy that you used. Oh, you yeah. Remember? Do you remember? Could, could you give that to our audience? I think it kind of – it'll resonate – we have a lot of good baseball people in our audience, grassroots to, to front office, but I think that'll resonate with everybody. Um, yeah, what we were discussing last week was, um, I don't know, just uh, uh, you, you just you, you don't want to take, you hope you don't take the instincts out of teaching, out of certainly out of player acquisition, whether it be, you know, recommending a, a minor league player or certainly in the draft where, where scouts oftentimes just have this intuitive feel on a player that otherwise, um, you know, the, the, the analytics may not view the same way. And the analogy that I presented was, um, 
you and I were driving down a driving down a, a you know two lane road, and there's nothing but empty parcels of land. Um, you know, same thing, one acre, two acre, just land for as far as the eye could see. I see it as land, but you have the instincts or intuition because you've seen this play out before that that parcel of land on this side of the road and not on the other side is worth gobbling up because, you know, you're just in your mind's eye, you see the, the, the you see the freeway being extended. You see business. It's just it, it's just intuition. You know, you may see I may see a plot of land and you may see an investment. And yet we're looking at the same empty you know, parcel of land. And it's it's because of your your experience, which include mistakes um, that you're you know, you just have that vision that, that I may not have uh, may not have had. And I think it it carries over into into all uh, all elements of, of life and business. It's um, you don't want to force it. But when your instincts are telling you something, you don't want to ignore it either. I like that. Kevin, go ahead. You had something. Yeah, Mike, I want to, uh, you know, you're a Pittsburgh guy and, you know, it's always been one of my favorite cities. It's a great sports city. Um, I'm old enough to remember Mazeroski's home run. Matter of fact, in 1994, I was working in San Diego and I was covering the Chargers. So obviously I was there for the uh, playoffs and things. And I remember going to a little local bar and they had Iron City beer. beer. Uh, There was Mazeroski crossing the plate. You know, here we are so many years later. They live, you know, they, the Clemente, um, all that stuff. Uh, your dad working with the Pirates. I, I'm just curious now with what the Pirates are going through. What, what What's a, just uh, not not as a representative of the Brewers or anything, but just as a baseball person, what what, what, do you, what is the feeling like in Pittsburgh for baseball at, the, at this juncture? Well, oddly enough, I was there last night. I was um, I was asked to go in and, 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 and advance the, uh, the opponent, the Cardinals, and up until last night, we were still uh, we had a flicker of hope for postseason, and we would have played the Cardinals um, had we advanced. But um, to your to your question, Kevin, you know it's a it's a proud town. It's 130 years of Major League Baseball. All the the iconic names that you've rattled off um, from the very beginning till you know um, you know to, to Bonds breaking, air, launching his career here, and Clemente, Stargell, etc. Uh, unfortunately, they just haven't kept. They haven't kept pace with the winning tradition that you have with the Penguins, the Steelers, um, and the expectations that come with with um, with that here with the, with the fan base. Um, you know, it's it's the number one ballpark in America. Um, you could argue, um, you know, there, there there are a few that that are that are better, better designed. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful better, park. Beautiful. Yeah, park. better environment, but. Um, you know, they just haven't had they haven't had the opportunity to win um, too much in the last decade or so. And other than that three year period where they I, they went wild card, I think three consecutive years, it's just been a it's been a pretty uh, pretty substantial drought here. And it's unfortunate because again, this just just a tremendous sports town here, and and um, it's been so long. I feel bad for some of the twenty somethings in this town that really have never experienced it. Um, and I hope that uh, as a Pittsburgher, certainly I don't want them to beat the Brewers, but as a Pittsburgher, I hope that uh, the younger generation here is able to experience at some point with the Pirates what they have with the 16 straight years of playoff with the Penguins and the, you know, the heightened expectations with the Steelers that, 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 you know, that is every year. One other quick thing, uh, Clemente, he, you know, I, I'm, again, old enough to watch Clemente play. I, he's my favorite player. For so many reasons, just to watch him, 
Uh, and this is a two-pronged question, but the way he, he threw in the outfield, his athleticism, um, I would hope that baseball tries to get back to some of those type players. But do you have any uh, do you have any uh, any stories or anything regarding Clemente that would make uh, you know that would help our listeners understand who he was and stuff like that? Oh wow! I mean, where do I begin? Like um, <laughs> my brothers, I'm 60 years old, so my brothers and I, uh, growing up, had the good fortune of um, you know going to Forbes Field on a regular basis, and then Three Rivers in the 70s. Clemente, in particular, um, you know, I, I you know I don't want to go overboard with this, but to, to, to say that, uh, you know, my brothers and I weren't out there playing catch with him or shagging fly balls at nine or 10 years of age, um, would be an understatement. Um, I have, a I have a number of, uh, letters that, uh, handwritten letters from, uh, uh, Clemente to my father, who at the time was the uh, public relations director for the pirates. Um, my father was the first one to pick Clemente up, um, uh, for his first spring training. And my mother, my 89-year-old mother shared this with me last spring training. And I said, Mom, like, how long have you been waiting to tell this secret? And uh, Clemente flew in from, uh, Clemente flew in from, um, you know, Puerto Rico to Tampa. And the Pirates had trained in uh, Fort Myers at Terry Park. My dad drove up to pick him up. And uh, the, the punchline to all this, guys, is, as my mother shared with me, she said, uh, when they shook hands and greeted Clemente's expression to my father was, he said, uh, he said he didn't like to fly. It's the first thing my, my dad wow. heard. He said, Jack, wow. I don't like to fly. How was your flight, uh, Bobby? That's what they called him, Bobby. And he said, uh, Jack, I don't like to fly. And then, you know, I, I get goosebumps just hearing that now. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I was at the 3000th hit. I think that was September 30th. It was 50 years ago, September 30. Wow. Um, was at that game. Remember, like it was yesterday. Um, favorite player growing up. Um, most of my passwords. Uh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> most of my passwords have something to do with Clemente. Um, so yeah, he was just fond memories, and he was as advertised. Was um, before I pass it over, but was was Rick Peterson? Uh, I know his dad was with the Pirates as well. Were you? Was there any crossover with you and Rick as young kids? Oh. Yeah, as young men, absolutely. Uh, Harding was the uh, general manager. Um, Pete was the general. Pete was the GM of the '79 World Championship team. I'm guessing Rick is probably about 64, 65. He looks 40. Correct. But, uh, Correct. I'm 60, so Rick had a few years. But yeah, he uh, he attended Mount Lebanon High School, which is a you know a, a local school here. And yeah, we 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 certainly crossed paths growing up. Uh, Pete was my dad's boss as the GM. And I think at that point, my father was um, uh, VP of group sales and promotions, but, um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, That's awesome. one last thing, cause I was just reading it about, I think it was there a guy named George Detour or, or I forget his name. Uh, George Detour. Yeah. Yes. And he was a pretty good, uh, he, you know, he was a good teacher obviously, but I remember Rick and I talked to Rick earlier this week, by the way, but I remember Rick, Rick has this thing where if he wants to see your arm slot, he'll just roll the ball to you, tell you to pick it up and throw it. But I was reading about uh, Detour, and uh, he had a thing where he would take a guy out, you know, a, a pitcher or whatever. He'd, he'd uh, take him outside the ballpark or whatever, and 
and uh, put a rock in his hand and tell him to hit, hit a pole or something. So just to look at his uh, his pitching motion. So I'm guessing that that's uh, that's kind of where the basic of Rick's idea came from, and and that's why I don't want people to forget how great the Pirates once were as an organization with the Branch Ricky and everything else, and and how uh, difficult it is for life now with the Pirates. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they 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 were legendary. Just think of all those great scouts, and mind you, they. They uh, they mined Clemente as a as a rule five, um, you know, from the Dodgers. He was wow. he was in, in yep. Montreal, and that was that was no easy task. Uh, my father's been gone twenty two years, but um, uh, all the stories. You know, my dad was there. Ricky Hard, Mister Ricky Hard, my father was a scout in fifty one, fifty two, give or take, and um, you know, he was a part of that uh, legendary group coming up. Mister um, Ricky put my father through night school. And uh, because he wanted him to have his education, um, loaned him a couple thousand dollars to be one of the original investors in the ABC Helmet Company. Uh, it can go on and on and on. Um, my father's, you know, time in the game and, and, and the, plat- the introduction and platform that he's provided me 40 years later. Amazing. It is. Well, you had, you had a question before. No, no, it was it was long ago. We moved on. I'm good. Uh, I'm just enjoying listening to this stuff, uh, you know, because I was a, a Clemente lover. He was my favorite player growing up, and I grew up in the Philadelphia area, so he was my favorite position player, and Steve Carlton was my favorite pitcher. So um, <laughs> the admiration was there. And the other, the other thing I always heard about Clemente, and you talked about, him playing catch with you guys is how well he treated kids. You know, he loved being around kids. He had a, like a spirit about him of uh, just enjoying being around the kids and doing things like that, playing catch and shagging balls with you. So yeah, really neat. Mike, you were, you were a catcher back in the day, correct? Correct. Yeah, who did you? You know, I know Clemente was a role model, but as a catcher, who did you look to either as a young kid or when you, you made your way through through the uh, the next ranks of baseball? Oh, Johnny Bench. <laughs> it was Bench, hands down, number five. Uh, yeah, Bench was uh, Bench was the uh, the benchmark, uh, if you will, for me. I'm you know, my my uh, my old man put me behind home plate playing boys club baseball when I was about six years old. Um, I think he knew what I wanted to do at a very young age because, you know, my brothers, we, we had the good fortune. Um, you know, we, we'd go to spring training, um, you know, when the, when, you know, when the pirates would pack up Forbes field and, and head down to Fort Myers, um, you know, my father was there for the duration and, you know, we were, you know, really from the time of birth till, uh, about nine years of age when he shifted into a new role. Um, we were in Florida. We They'd enroll us in kindergarten or whatever in Bradenton or Fort Myers. And, um, and uh, you know, I was always, always had a battered ball in my hand. My dad, I guess, figured out that, you know, this kid's probably going to want to play this sport, put me behind the plate shortly thereafter. And then it was Johnny Bench to answer your question. He was the man. Yeah. And he kind of broke the mold with the one hand catching and the uh, what do you, what do you say? There's not a man alive that could steal a base on him. I think. Oh yeah, and uh, I mean just just the ruggedness of him and um, yeah, he was he was a guy. And of course, you know, in those days, you know, Big Red Machine Lumber Company Pirates, um, 
there were just constant wars between the two franchises, um, you know, back in the, uh, well, really from, from 70 through about 76, or actually 70 through 79, because the Pirates had to get through the Reds in order to advance to the World Series in 79. So um, we saw a lot of the Reds in Pittsburgh and certainly a little bit on TV. But again, to answer your question, Bench was, bench was the big influencer for me. No, it makes sense. We're seeing a lot of this, and I'll, I'll go to Will right after this. We've seen a lot of the one knee catching right now. That the, the philosophy is to to steal low strikes. Uh, we're seeing it as, at least from our standpoint, we see that to be a problem with blocking on that. Is that in your mind? Is that something that has to evolve, or do you see it as a a, a problem right now? Uh, it's a huge problem for me. Um, huge problem for me. To me. Um, in, in my judgment, you're you're willing to you're willing to gain a borderline ball strike with uh, no regard for uh, the advancement of 90 feet, and you're just seeing it a lot. You're seeing a lot in the mind. I mean, I just watched it for a couple of days um, in it. I, I believe it was in Atlanta uh, with with the the Mets coughing up um, precious real estate on a base pass. And you know, the other concern I have with it. From again, we're all health and safety minded in this organization. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but more catchers, more catchers are getting clicked with foul balls, and I mean to, to where they're down on the ground, writhing in pain. And it's for me, it's all because they're on that one knee. Their legs are wide open. It's just it's a shooting gallery. You know, inner thigh, inner knee. God forbid they're getting clipped where where none of us want to get clipped. None of that happened. None of it happened when 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 we were catching from from a standard low squat position. So, like, I want to jump in here because I, I've noticed that, and it drives me nuts. And um, again, my main problem, and this is me, it's not you speaking. My main problem with the people running baseball right now is they don't know baseball. So uh, I'm getting on the record here right there. So so that that's where I'm coming from. And when you talk about getting clipped, you know what I'm noticing most of all? Uh, I've seen it time and time again. Uh, they're down on one knee. That, that, that foul tip comes and hits them on the top of the pad on the knee. And they are just writhing in pain because it's the top of the knee. And if you think about it, and especially with your, your father's history with the batting helmet, protecting the players, that pad was engineered to be in a squat position, not to be down on one knee. So they're getting hurt even where they have pads now because the pads aren't doing the job because of the way they have their catcher's position. It's 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 freaking ridiculous. A- absolutely, absolutely right. And, uh, yeah, and it's a great point that they are getting hit in areas where where they otherwise were protected. Um and, and I watched it last night. You know, I watched uh, uh, Kinsner with the, with the Cardinals. I mean, uh, you know, he, he he took one, you know, inside the thigh region and um, beat him up pretty good. And again, it's it's certainly no fun. I just don't know why we would want to enhance the the area of of, of exposure, risk even a you know, greater chance at injury. Putting aside, of course, the fact that again, ninety feet matters. 90 feet's a hell of a lot more important than whether or not you're going to steal that occasional strike. And let's see it all go away next year if we go to the automated zone. Well, that was my next point. Uh, not only when the automated zone comes, but what now with catchers when 
you really can't uh, hold runners anymore because of the stupid rules they got there. Again, stupid rules by stupid people is my point. Is my point. And uh, uh, how, how's that going to affect the catching position? Because you can only throw over a limited number of times. You won't be able to hold the ball. You get the pitch clock. What's going to happen with catchers and what should teams do to make the most of those rules? Well, I, I, I think beginning with we're probably going to have to revisit you know, um, you know what, what is now an accepted uh, caught stealing percentage. I mean, it's going to change the way we view the position as far as you know caught stealing uh, versus success rate as base runner. Because I mean, it's it's, it's obvious. You know, once you've exhausted your your uh, you know required amount of step offs slash throwovers, you know, advantage runner, and then you throw a little bigger base in there. What is it? Three? It's a, a base that's going to be about you know what three inches. Don't hold me to the number, but little big, bigger base. Hell, let's get a bigger oven mitt too. Um, yeah. You know, let's let's really put these these catchers behind the eight ball. Um, but no, it's 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 a it's a fair point. I mean, um, you know, once once you you know rid the element of surprise from uh, from the base runner, it's uh, you know here we go thousand one thousand two. We're we're off and running. Well, here's my theory too. I think there's going to be so many uh, organizations that don't take advantage of this as well. There's Guys are still going to be afraid to take leads. And if, if I'm an organization, man, I, I'm getting myself some uh, outfielders that can run, all players that can not just run too, but just read a pitcher. I'd be stealing bases left and right. I'd be breaking records for team stolen bases. Uh, I, I, I agree. Um, I mean, they're, 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 making it, they're making it easier to accomplish. So, yeah, um, I, mean, I certainly wouldn't want, you know, I wouldn't want a manager to put Will or myself in motion, but um, – uh, certainly anyone that's, you know, regarded as solid average to above average speed. Sure. Any, again, it, it, and it takes the instincts. It takes the instinctual feel away from the base runner, too. All they got to do is count now. As long as they can count, whatever that agreed to number is, once we get to that number, hey, you know, my math says he's not allowed to step off or throw over anymore. Boom. Gone. Wow. <laughs> it's just another, just another way of – you know, in in my opinion, changing something that just doesn't need changed. These ballparks are cathedrals, man. I don't know why we want to drive, why we're so insistent on getting people in and out. I mean, if 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 the if the goal in mind is to reduce the the, the time of game, to me that means we want to get people out of the building twenty minutes sooner than we otherwise would have. Well, why would we want to do that in these ballparks? We're the most beautiful ballparks, stadium venues in any sport anywhere in the world, even in the minor leagues. You know what? When I've had enough, I'll go home. I'll catch the rest of it on TV. Right. I'll watch it on my smartphone. But you know what? I'm going to sit here with my kids, enjoy a sandwich. I'll have a beer. Mom will have a Diet Coke and just take in this beautiful. Why would anyone want to leave Truist Park any earlier than they had to with that environment? No, There's they, so don't. Many they love them. being there. They love being yeah, there. Just so many of them. So many great points, Mike. You know, uh, you know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, um, it's it's like our government. You know, uh, Manfred wants to legislate, and we're not teaching. You know, if if you want to improve things in the game, teach better. Teach guys how to steal bases. Don't legislate the game to make stolen bases easier. You know, uh, you know. That's their answer to everything is to legislate the game. 
operated under the rules fine for hundreds of years. And But over the last 25 years, we've evolved into something that nobody's teaching anymore. So now we're going to legislate to bring back things that people are complaining about. Yeah, that's, and- not, that, that's not the answer. No, and, and, and I, I agree. Um, and, you know, too much of this, you know, too much, too much um, uh, rule changes, too much analytics uh, in development. What they've ultimately done, you've, you've removed self-discovery from a player's process. And, Will, if you think back to, you think back to when, again, here we go, we sound like we're old, but, well, how many, how many pitches how many pitches were created um, because of self-discovery? Two guys playing catch on a line in an A-ball park, and he finally learns a grip, um, yeah. throws a two-seam or something he's never done before, or a changeup, or Wakefield developing a knuckleball as a, as a washed-up shortstop. Mariano um, Guerrero with the cutter. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Um, well, I mean, the, yeah. list, the list goes – the list goes on and on. I mean, Will, you've mentioned Jeff Fry as, as you know, as a guest, and of course, we all have history with him. He is the poster child for self-discovery from 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 the day he walked into a tryout camp. Um, and and again, that's that's the that's the concern, and really, it, that's the the angst I have with this. Is um, I get it. I mean, technology technology can certainly aid in a bet in the development in certain areas, but not to the point to where, again, it just removes that self-discovery process from what any of us do. I mean, some of the best players to ever wear a uniform weren't taught anything other than self-taught or communication amongst friends, teammates, or just seeing things and emulating it. Well, you know, when when we signed and uh, and I signed a little bit before you, Mike, because I'm older, but, you know, we were taught that we were going to be our own best coach to have an understanding of feel. And that there was a great post on Facebook that I'm going to share tomorrow. Max Scherzer talked about feel versus analytics, how important it is for him to have feel. The analytics, he doesn't really care about. It's his feel for the game in the moment. That, that, that is what matters to him. And, um, you know, the, that point. And then, you know, going back to the legislation point, Mike, and you were the one that brought this to my attention. I was, being a former pitcher, I was loving these low A-ball games that were over an hour and 50 minutes because of the clock. But, you know, you brought to my attention, being a former hitter, how tough it was for those kids to just sit in the box and never be able to have any thought process to hit. So like as much as we need to move the game along, we also need to allow our hitters to have a feel for um, learning, learning an approach and learning what a pitcher is trying to do to them to be able to step out of the box and take a deep breath, you know, you know, we don't need Nomar Garcia power after every pitch where you got to, you know, adjust every piece of clothing on your body. But there needs to be a moment for a hitter to stay, you know, you know, I need, you know, I need a little time out here. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, and it, it really, it reared, it reared its ugly head for me doing, doing Florida State League coverage in, in uh, probably early May down in Jupiter. 
I mean, these games, as you pointed to, these games were flying by. And then, you know, I keep score the old fashioned way. And, you know, I'm tallying things up, you know, when you get back to the house or hotel and the strikeouts. And I know we're living in a strikeout dominated era, but this this was even more troublesome. So I got to thinking, like, you know, is it the background? Is it? No, these kids simply don't have enough time. 14 seconds with no runner on base. With bases empty, it's 14 seconds. Okay. Now, some of these kids, these older players, pitchers specifically in the Florida State League, I'll still call it, these college guys who are smart, they're rushing 88, 90 by some of the hitters because they're turning the 14-second clock into about a nine-second clock. Right. They're right. getting it. They're never leaving the rubber. The hitter doesn't have enough time to reboot his mind from one pitch to the next. Pitcher knows that because, again, instincts still matter. And, I mean, just, just throwing – these kids are locked up. They're locked up. They simply don't have enough time to process. And I guess the analogy I would use, because there are a lot of a lot of people in our game that will argue with me. Oh, you know, it's that that it, it, it's coming and it's good for the game. Okay, for all you golfers out there, for all you passionate golfers who like to go out and, and beat that white ball around. Okay, uh, beginning beginning in January of 2023. When you take your Myrtle Beach trip, you go down to Florida or go into Palm Springs and you get the 23 golf season underway, effective January 1, every golf course is going to have a timer, a timer, a police timer behind you hitting your hitting your driver, your fairway shot and your putt and most importantly your putting. And we're going to put it we're going to put a watch on you. You you've got you know, 15 seconds from the time that club's out of the bag or the time you're addressing that ball. You can't look twice. You can't check the wind. I mean, come on. It's, Great it's point. Just, Great point. It's, you, know, you, you know, Mike, and that was the cat and mouse game that we grew up in. Okay, I signed with the Orioles. Our mantra was work fast, throw strikes, change speeds. So I, I worked really fast. And I would get into a really good rhythm, which is what I taught and which I was taught and taught still teach to this day. You know, rhythm and timing is very important to success as a pitcher, throwing strikes and, you know, doing your best. But, you know, when I had when, when I was rolling in a game, hitters would get into the box and just hold their hand up to the umpire and say, you know, you got to slow this guy down. But that's the cat and mouse game that the smart hitters would do that we're, we're now legislating and the poor hitter doesn't have that that thing for him. You know, they're just pushing it all onto the pitcher. So that's why the pitchers were striking out. I, I was in Dunedin for the, the one series where the, the team they played against struck out 13, 16, 24, 15, and 16 times over five days. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So it, yeah, and 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 again, and that's that's impeding our development. Um, in the day, okay, great. The time of time of game was reduced by 22 minutes. Again, I go back to why do we want to drive these people out of these beautiful ballparks that we have in the minor leagues? Why? Let them determine when is a good time to arrive. And when is a good time to leave? Okay. Right. 
And there are there are ways in which we can artificially look. Once upon a time, the plate umpire, we all know the plate umpire would clap his hands and say that was signed for. Hey, guys, let's pick this thing up. Let's get this thing moving along. And he would widen his own a little bit, this or that, whatever it might be. Thumb on the scale, thumb off the scale. Um, we don't need legislation for this. And frankly, I think, again, if we if we, we do go through with this, um, I mean, I watched Bryce Harper last week because I was sitting on the Phillies as well. You tell me, you tell me Bryce Harper is going to adapt to a 16 second or whatever that final number is. There's no way. No. He's got four taps in the batter's box. Yeah. He draws that little line with his with his left index finger. There's no right. way. And, and I'm not picking on him. He's got a freaking no. routine. No, no. No, you know, and, and the umpires used to be allowed to move the game on, you know, when they went to the automated strike zone in the Florida State League in 2021. And you have a four-hour and 55-minute game in the ninth inning, and there's a borderline pitch. Uh, that's probably a strike that the that the the Hawkeye said was a ball. They weren't allowed to call it a strike. Yeah, you know, and, you know and, and, you're, you're you're almost five hours into a game. You know, let's let people just do their job and play the game. Right, and then again, for for all the decision makers that that are that are um, that are, are they have a role in in implement implementing this into our game next year. For all those decision makers that play golf, how would you like? Again, to go back to that, and how would you like if you had somebody with a watch behind you? And there are a lot of people in our game that enjoy playing golf. Well, effective immediately, yeah, we're going to put a clock on all your swing preparation, putting preparation. Yeah, that would be important. I think we've seen uh, plenty of clips, and uh, and actually, I know for a fact from being up in Cooperstown when Manfred used to come up, the highlight for Manfred up in Cooperstown was going to play at that guy eleven level. Leather, uh, leather stocking golf course. So uh, yeah. he he's a perfect example. I want to take it one step further, and I'll, I'll one o'clock next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let the, and then I'll let Dave get in. But uh, I have a theory that this it's it's it, they're obviously trying to you know speed the game up. I get it, but I also think there it used to be a thinking man's sport. But the thing I loved about baseball was it was a thinking fan's sport. F not man fan. I think now by speeding everything up, you don't even get the fan a chance to think about it anymore. When I started covering baseball and everything, you could talk between pitches. What's he going to do here? What's going on? What's the base runner doing? Look at the outfielder. Now it's becoming all just here it goes, you know, roll it out there. And there's no thing. So I, I think they're taking the thinking away from the players, but they're also taking the thinking away from the fan. And that's really going to hurt them in the long run. That's yeah, just, and so much of the just, fan involvement is God. is gambling. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Dave. No, no, I was listening to it. I, I think that's ironic that uh, now now baseball has. I mean, you see it in the background of everything. It's gambling uh, rolling in and out, and that used to be a taboo. We've had guys eliminated from the game because of that. Um, I want to get back. I mean, at the beginning of the talk, we, we talked about two wonderful prospects and you didn't use these words, but the words we've used later on, I mean, I basically keep going back to how you describe them. Um, you know, we, we've talked about things like self-discovery, which I think is great with all learners. Um, you know, you're, you're mentioning things like creativity. When you talk about Jeff Fry, um, to me, high agency people, people that 
they see something, they find a way around it, they work their way through it. Uh, first principle. It's hard now because we have so much input. Even in the dugouts, we're seeing the iPads in front of these guys' faces nonstop. And in self-teaching, you know, you hit on that. Going back to your days, you talked about having brothers. How did you guys do that as, as siblings? How did you uh, give give us some examples of what you did? Because we've got a lot of young kids out there that when they're bored, they go play, um, you know, they go play on the iPad or they go play PlayStation. We didn't have that back then. Uh, my kids still marvel at how, how I got a long life without an iPad and a cell phone. But um, what were some things that you and your brothers did um, to to learn about the game, to discover the game? Dave, that, Dave, that's that's what we did. That's all any of us did. You got the neighborhood crew together, and depending on what season it was, determined whether or not the ball was small and round, a little bigger and round, or egg-shaped. You know, um, we were constantly, constantly out playing um you're, you're playing touch football in the street you're tearing up somebody's front yard during football season it's you know it's hoops indoors in the winter you're going to local y and then you know once once spring hit um it we, we hit you know fungos infield played what we called speed ball we'd have these hard rubber balls drew a strike zone on the uh brick wall at the elementary school and played for hours and hours and hours and you know, I mean, personally, I had every, I think I had every pirate, every pirate swing down pat from probably 1968 to, you know, the early 80s. You um, just, that's, that's, you just, you, you got outside, you just, you went outside and, and, and just experimented. And it was, um, no there parents, was, no coaches, right? You went out and you legislated yourself, basically. Correct. Yeah, I mean, you know, dad was working. You know, dad was working. Um, and my dad was, you know, he was traveling with the team. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't see much of my dad at, at, at games because he was uh, he was making a living. So many other fathers were making livings. Mothers, too. Don't want to leave the moms out. But, um, yeah, again, it, it all goes back to what we just it, – it was just self-discovery, self-taught. Mike, uh, I, I, I've always talked about the playground um, taught us how to be scouts because we would have to choose sides. We were general managers putting our teams together. Uh, we were umpires during the game and referees. We were uh, conflict resolution. You know, uh, you know, okay, you guys have this call. We get the next close one. Let's keep playing. You know, so like – we were we were doing all those things on the playground. You know, I learned, okay, I know you're my best friend, Eddie, but I'm not going to pick you because you stink at basketball. <laughs> you know, I was going to take the guy I really didn't like who was a good basketball player in the first pick. You know, and, and now, like, I was amazed when my son and I was doing some travel ball stuff and the kids would pick sides and I would go, you guys are horrible. How did you take this team? You know, but, <laughs> yeah, so. you would I, you would pick Barkley. That's the way it goes, like the commercial. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course I'd take Barkley. That's right. Yeah, that's just another example. I, I, I get back to my point about thinking. They're trying to take all the thinking out of the game and make it. They want to make everyone a robot in this world. Yeah. What about competitiveness, too? We see this again. I'm. I was at the college level for 20 plus years. And now I'm really heavily involved with the grassroots level because of my children. But um, at the end of every tournament, everybody's getting rings and everybody's getting belts now, whatever it may be. 
then we go back to the, the sandlot days. When you played on a basketball court or a baseball court, you got to the end of the line when it became your time to play. If you won, you stayed on. If you didn't win, you went all the way back to the end of that line and you waited to play again. So winning became very important. There was no ring. There was no trophy. There was no, you know, YouTube or Twitter. It was just you won, you stayed. You didn't, you went back to the line. Are we missing that today, Mike, uh, in sports? Are you seeing that in prospects uh, come up the line? Maybe the, you know, that, 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 that drive to win may not be there and it's a drive for something else. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we definitely are. I mean, um, um, you know, at, at times like it, that, that old phrase, you know, the hardest thing to do is uh, the hardest thing to do uh, is to eat when you're full. And when, when you feel like you're, you're satisfied, you know, professionally that, you um, uh, you know, you, you you got the big bite at the apple here. You've gotten paid not with all of them, certainly, um, but yeah, you see you see a regression in play. I think in in all sports when when guys they they they, they get their payday, they get their payday, and again they uh, they may not work as hard as they once did. But um, for me, the, the 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 major concern I have just with sports in general, and it's all of them, is the the undoing of fear and 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 competition. Um, we've pretty much extracted fear from our sport. Um, this is there's no longer, you know, Bruce Keeson is no longer, a, a, you know, allowed to strike fear into Mike Schmidt uh, or you know anybody that he felt is digging in. There are still a few of them left, but they're dinosaurs. Um, you know, the second base slide play the home plate slide play. I just, you know, the, the fear has been, has gradually been eroded from our business. And then again, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, I, I just, I think competition has taken on a new meaning uh, to a certain degree. Uh, are we competing for our own personal goals or are we competing for that W versus that L at the end of the day? In other words, you know, here in football, you know, I got my touches. Okay, great. Yeah. But what one? What was hung up at the end of the day? A W or an L? And and again, it's just maybe you guys feel differently. Um, no, not at all. No, see yeah. a lot of it. And win, winning, winning, I think is secondary to personal achievement. And again, the lack of the lack of intimidation in our sport. I'll hang my hat on this. It's it's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. You know, lines, I, w- I was talking to Gary Allison re- recently, and we were talking uh, about Kirk Gibson. And he said he remembers Kirk Gibson coming around third base like a freight train. And uh, he wasn't getting in his way unless it was seventh game of the World Series. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. so and my question to you, Mike, being a scout and uh, looking at all this, how do you measure competitiveness nowadays when when basically the rules of engagement have changed so dramatically? I think you know it when you see it. They, they jump out like, at you. They jump out at you. Yeah, they they yeah, really the, do. The um, Warriors, the Warriors just jump out at you because most of them aren't. You know, most of them are uh, singularly uh, based based upon you know their. Players are trying to get to the big leagues to brand themselves like LeBron James and people like that so that they can make the most amount of money 
Um, if they win championships along the way, they, they win them. But, uh, you know, you just see, and, and, and we seem to be branding players and, you know, more than we're developing players that are winning players. So. Yeah, you know it when you know it when you see it, and unfortunately, we don't see it enough. I mean, right. you see it with a guy like Scherzer, and there are others. Again, I'm I'm well, Aaron I'm Judge. I saw with Aaron Judge in 2015 when he was in Double A, yeah. and uh, yeah, what what a yeah. leader he is, and those guys stick out, and that's why they need to get paid. And it's amazing to me Absolutely. the Yankees haven't paid him yet. But here we right. go. That's another story. But but you're right. You you, you know it when you see it. And you don't see enough of it. That's that's no. the problem. That's the hang-up I have. Again, it goes back to, you know, uh, we, we've we've eroded fear, and I believe competition um, out of our sport. Um, not entirely, but the priorities have changed. And Will nailed it. The prior the priorities in large right. measure are about branding. It's about yeah. walk up. It's about Twitter account. It's yeah. about followers. Um, and, and you know what? I get all that. And these guys got to get paid um, because there's no guarantee they're going to get paid either. But for God's sakes, you know, when, when you get out on that field, you know, and, and you, you, you click one back, you're the hitter that clicks one back and it hits me in the cage. Hey, you know what? You don't need to, you don't need to rescue me. Like I'm, I'm going to fall down an, an, an endless pit. Just, we, we don't need to see that. Just, yeah. Mike, you know, we talk on our pitching side, you know, we never let, we never let the warrior pitcher get to the third time through. We just take him out of the game now. So we don't, you know, we're, you know, you're, you're not developing that guy that makes a pitch in the seventh inning with runners on second and third and punches out the best hitter in the lineup. Yeah. And you go, wow, that's what I'm talking about. We, we don't even let them do it. And then when they get to the big leagues, we say, well, you know, they can't get three times through. Well, it's it, it, it's like training for a marathon by going and running a couple sprints. <laughs> it, it doesn't work. Yep. If you guys so, get a chance, you probably saw it already, the, the Netflix special on Nolan Ryan. Oh, it was um, fabulous. He, he talks just the same thing. I don't have day. Netflix, Dave. Oh, good for you. Good for <laughs> you. I'm, I'm trying to find out who ordered it in my house because I don't want it either. They uh, <laughs> they had uh, – he, he mentioned exactly what you guys are talking about. He talked about – uh, the fear that he wanted to instill. And the batters said the same thing. You had Pete Rose, you had Mike Schmidt yeah. flat out say, yeah. we wanted no part of him. Uh, Cal Sorry. Ripley, I mean, they were very yeah. – Nolan Ryan said it to uh, – they asked him, did you knock that guy down on purpose or did you hit him on purpose? And he just looked flat out and sometimes you got to take matters into your own hands. That's yeah. right. And there was no way he was getting taken out of a game because he said that was his job. The longer he goes, the better shot you have to win. So – uh, that was fabulous, and thanks for uh, letting me jump on your uh, Netflix, Steve. I really appreciate it. No worries. Anytime. Hey, you know what my passcodes are. We all have those favorite ball players. That have, that have well, yeah, well, I, I know. I know. Clemente. Something to do with Clemente. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, Dave didn't let me jump on his Netflix, so I don't know. <laughs> but I, I uh, you know, Mike, we end every show with. Um, I ha it's a simple question, and you have it from all. You have many layers, you know, player, you know, player development, scout, manager, whatever. But the simple question I ask, and, and take a second to think about it. You don't have to rush into it. And uh, I, but we ask everyone, and we get great answers because everyone looks at it a little bit differently. But um, what does it mean to you to be a ball player? I'll say it again. What does it mean to you to be a ball player? It's real simple. Uh, and just uh, give us your answer. 
as as a former player or as a ball player that I'm that any I'm, way you want to handle it. Okay. Well, um, in in a former life, what did it mean to be a ball player? That was a it was a culmination of of, of really every dream I ever had growing up. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. Um, it also um, it also represents um, failure too because I didn't get to where I wanted to be. Uh, I'll, I'll, I didn't play in the big leagues. Um, you know, played a long time in AAA, but didn't get to the big leagues. And um, I think for for reasons that were that were mine, my doing. I was too much of a red ass. Uh, I was a really good teammate, but um, you know, looking back on it now. Um, you know, um, there's, there's some, there's some remorse there in, in, uh, cause the numbers were certainly there. The back of the minor league card certainly suggests that, uh, I should have had big league time, but it also helped me grow to, it's a, it was a privilege in, in all in all, it was a privilege. I don't have my family without it. Um, I don't have the relationships, the friendships without it. And really there was no, there was no better way of making a living than, than doing that. Very, very well said. I love that. Yeah. Well, did you want to add? Did you want to add something to that? You know, um, as, as we get older, you know, you know, I always ponder this because Kevin asks this, and that, you know, uh, a lot of the same things. But in the end, what I think all of us realize that baseball has uh, afforded us a life of gratitude to do something that we love, and then the relationships with people like you guys. You know, Mike's one of those guys, when I get to a ballpark and he's there, I know I'm going to have a great day. Um, and there's so many guys like that. And Kevin was the same way when Kevin was a writer. And I would get a chance to spend time and talk to him. So, uh, you know, the people in the game now don't realize how blessed we are, not just because of the game, but because of the relationships and the like-mindedness of people that we end up being lifelong friends with. So, so well, well said by both, and we, we appreciate Mike. Thanks for being on our show today. You gave us almost an hour, and that's uh, more than we can even ask. And your your responses were phenomenal. I think our audience definitely got a better baseball IQ today. And as we, we talk about, we're on in 40, 42 countries right now, I believe, um, we're listened to. So your voice, your messages, your teachings, your thoughts on self-discovery are going to get out there uh, later on today. So thanks again. And Will and Kevin, thanks for your, your insightful questions and comments as well. And this is uh, the end of Real Voices to the Game, episode 54 with Mike Berger. Thanks, guys. Always enjoy. Thank thanks, guys.